So welcome, everybody, to Kremlin File. We're very happy that you've tuned in. Olga, we know that in the past few weeks, we've been going through a very, very tense right period uh, with the Russian buildup of military armaments and personnel on the borders with Ukraine, also with the migrant situation and what is was happening in Belarus. Okay, mm-hmm. so today we have two very special guests. Uh, the former president of Estonia, Thomas Hendrik Ilves, and with Nikola Tanzi. And Nikola had held senior positions in the French government, I believe under Macron. He is also the publisher of Descrucci, which we've talked about. So we taped this episode with him in August when Lukashenko had just begun weaponizing uh, migrants and, you know, pushing them onto, at that time, it was Lithuania's border. And... Europe at the time was on vacation. Not much was done. It wasn't a strong enough response. And now fast forward to November, we are literally on the verge of a war, a possible war in that region. Because at this point, you have uh, uh, Lukashenko who escalated his trafficking and weaponization of migrants to now push over the Polish border. And then you have at the same time the uh, buildup of troops and military equipment on Ukraine's border. And what's even more dangerous before where they were building up only on Eastern Ukraine, now they're building up uh, uh, via Belarus on Western Ukraine. So you have Ukraine being surrounded. You have Russia's rhetoric that is absolutely unhinged. The propaganda coming out of the Kremlin is, uh, I mean, unbelievable. If you, you know, pick up any mainstream Russian media outlet, they are preparing their uh, the Russians for war and saying basically that NATO is preparing to launch everything from regular attack to a nuclear attack on Russia. And you have uh, NATO who, you know, is, is trying to figure out in, in the middle of meets to figure out what to do now if Russia decides to conduct a full invasion and how far Russia will go, you know, where they will stop. Um, so I think it's just very important because even though the episode was taped, we had touched on these topics and the dangers in August. And here we are now. Yeah. Yep. You know, uh, anyone paying attention to the region saw all of this escalating in the spring, you know, and and this is just the price of what happens when there's a weak response and an appeasement policy. That's right. That's right. So I guess without any further ado, let's welcome Nicola and Tomas okay, to the pod. We're going to start off our discussion today with the international order and the values that underpin that order since 1945. And we've seen that order being turned on its head, especially in the last few years. We've seen the invasion of Georgia, Moldova, Ukraine, and how Russia has also tried to subvert the definition of democracy. Nicola, what are those values that underpin the international system? I think that's basically all the values that were created, especially after World War II, were based on the idea of international law. 
It means very concretely that no country could revise the borders by force. All the countries recognize the international law principles are there. Let's say, for instance, uh, we cannot commit war crimes, crimes against humanity, crimes of uh, uh, genocide. Even the former Soviet Union, it was purely theoretical, abide by those values. They recognize they are violating them, but on the other hand, they are recognizing those values. What the main change after Putin came to power is that basically Putin's Russia and also Xi Jinping China are saying, we don't care about those mm -hmm. values. We can commit war crimes openly. And I always remind of the fact that in Syria, Russia has killed more Syrian civilians than either ISIS yes. did. And then there were also the war crimes committed in Georgia, obviously in Ukraine and in Syria. And the fact yeah. I mean, the Western powers gave a kind of blank check or free hand to Putin to do that. And then when it comes yes. to China, we have exactly the same with yeah. the crimes against humanity or uh, the, 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 the crimes of genocide in Xinjiang against the Uyghur people. Uh, it could not have been imaginable, for instance, no. that a Western leader, either President Biden or, or Macron or Boris Johnson or whoever, uh, would have shaken hands with, let's say, bin Laden or uh, Abu al-Bakr al-Baghdadi, the, 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 the late uh, the head of, uh, of ISIS. But they are shaking hands, smiling with uh, Mr. Putin or Mr. Xi Jinping. So it means yes. that has has a very concrete, I mean, consequence uh, in the mindset of the people in Western democracies. Yes. And yes. not only, I mean, chemical weapons that were, are being used to kill people in Syria. I mean, you know, and and. I mean, there are laws against using chemical weapons against mass population. And the fact is that there was something completely mad, I think, in all the stances uh, within the international organization and especially the UN Security Council. People were saying, well, we have, for instance, to pressure Russia uh, mm. to say to Mr. Assad that he have uh, just to abandon this massive killing. But in fact, Russia is doing the same. Russia is Russia the one is helping. It's not, only, not yeah. only, yes, an accomplice, but a perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that's a change a lot. That change a lot to have member of permanent member of the UNSC uh, committing war crimes by themselves just to destroy the international order. Thomas. Do you agree with Nicholas in this, that he is out oh, to destroy the international order? Do you have another idea? No, I mean, it's absolutely the case, since, as uh, Nicola uh, said. I mean, the international order was not only sort of first founded in 1945 in San Francisco with, with the uh, Declaration, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, but then followed up later with the Geneva Convention of 49, the the principle of uh, inviolability of uh, borders and the borders cannot be changed by force was reiterated 
numerous times and including the Helsinki Convention and the Paris Charter mm-hmm. uh, of uh, 1990. So mm-hmm. this is, I mean, it was established order. I mean, it was simply reiterated many times in various conventions to which Russia has been a party. Um, and here we can kind of make a distinction between, say, I mean, China is not a part of the Paris Charter, not part of the mm. CSC mm. Helsinki Convention. But nonetheless, uh, but the most uh, I mean, since uh, wars start when you invade countries. So, I mean, I would say that right. that part is what has been completely ignored um, in that um, the West is not reacting to it in the ways no, that it should. And I mean, I guess most recently and most egregious has been the reaction of uh, France, Germany and the silence of the United States on basically mm-hmm. the invasion of uh, of Ukraine, the mm-hmm. annexation yes. of Crimea mm-hmm. and also the participation in the city, Russian troops in the Donbass, where, I mean, basically what you have is Russia is party to a discussion on Ukraine's future in which there's mm-hmm. there, I mean, which is utterly ridiculous. Since they're <laughs> the progressors. Exactly. And the fact that there could be a deal that would uh, sacrifice the territorial integrity of Ukraine, which is basically what is the, the Minsk agreements are all about. Uh, is something which is uh, completely, completely mad. And uh, in fact, all the people say, okay, we we have to find a kind of, as Biden said, uh, a kind of strategic stability with uh, with Russia. But what does it mean, strategic stability? It means that we accept, that basically we accept the the, the fait accompli. We accept the fait accompli. Uh, And the, the real problem is how to reverse the tide. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. to say, well, we, we have for the moment, I think that Putin has been the agenda setter. That I agree with you. And that is one of the main problems, because Russia invades a country. Mm-hmm. And instead of the international community saying you invaded the country, then suddenly these peace talks begin. What peace talks? Just tell Russia to get their troops get out, out of, of the country. I mean, they shouldn't be sitting at a table now. Okay, and this is how Russia dictates the narrative. And this is how they continue winning, because when they invaded Georgia, I mean, the international community should have said there is nothing to discuss here. Pack up your troops and leave. Same with Syria, same with uh, Moldova, with uh, Ukraine. And I mean, why is Ukraine sitting at a table uh, trying to come to an agreement after they're being invaded. It's like if someone invades my house and then sits and wants to discuss how, yeah, you know, what agreements plan. there are about just living over here. your garage. Let's yeah. sit down and have Like, a, I'll take this talk. room on this hours. No, yeah. I mean, that's not how it works. So I agree it, with. with there, there's a there's a problem with media here as well. I mean, first of mm. all, I mean, the, the uh, narrative that Western media has used uh, regarding the regarding Ukraine has been, first of all, well, on the one on the one hand, the Russians say that the Ukrainians crucified a three year old boy. This is BBC, right? Uh, On the other hand, the Ukrainians deny it. Um, I mean, there is uh, this both sides when, in fact, you're Mm. actually pitting absolute lies against the truth. And I mean, you there is no middle ground between the truth and a lie. It really isn't. And Mm. so it's 
And so this has been very, very well exploited over the years. Um, I mean, I would say for much longer than uh, the past seven. Um, and it's still bought. Uh, this is, I mean, you look at the, the, to this day, we have, first of all, a civil war when it's not a civil war. We have you know, we have separatists when they are there, they are Russian troops. And this is also this exactly. is the language that is used by the European Union and the uh, the uh, European External Action Service. Uh, this is the the implicit view of the high representative for foreign security policy, Jose Borrell. Now, mm. we're not going to get very far if you already have those fundamental assumptions that I just mentioned, that it's really both sides and so forth, and ignoring the fact of, uh, of, the, of an invasion and an annexation, really the first time that we've had that in Europe since, well, since Georgia, but Georgia was really the first time since the Sudetenland in 1938. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas, we've already discussed the tools Russia has used in its hybrid warfare and how they've used their neighbors basically as a testing ground. You were president when Russia attacked Estonia in 2007, and it was the first time in recent history that a cyber attack against a NATO country was no, used. It was, and all it, was, it was the first time that a cyber attack yeah, was right. used, mm -hmm. period. In fact, I would. it is any history of cyber conflict and war begins with Estonia. Yes. Because until that point, it was not uh, cyber. I mean, they were uh, there had been hacks for a long time. And the most famous was Moonlit Mile from 1999 against uh, by Russia against the uh, U.S. State Department and Defense mm -hmm. Department. Up to that point, it was um, it was always espionage. Uh, mm -hmm. For, with 2007, in which uh, I mean, which we saw this full-blown attack on a country, it's the first time anything related to cyber uh, fit von Clausewitz's definition mm. of continuation of policy by other means. By other means, and in yes. fact, basically, what happened was at least for a brief time, the country was shut down, mm -hmm. and the first solution to get out Horrible. of it was to simply cut ourselves off from every country abroad because of the nature of the tax, which were wow. DDoS or distributed denial of service attacks, which come from all over because they're using botnets that can be from infected computers. Now, that. Uh, I mean, the the I would suggest one moment about that was that actually, mm, aside from the uh, U.S., uh, I mean NSA and GCHQ in the U.K., no mm -hmm. one really believed us because they had no yeah. clue about what was going on. And people said, yeah. "Oh, you Russophobic East Europeans, yeah, you're making yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff." Um, and it was, I mean, it was pretty odd because, I mean, there I was saying, no, no, we, this is not made up. And the, yeah, we're seeing uh, it. We're experiencing it. We're living it. it. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I mean, since then, of course, people have kind of woken up to these possible, uh, all these various forms of, um, of aggression using digital means. Um, and I would hope that they would uh, wake up uh, a little more since, um, mm. Uh, these things, these, this is a new mode of, uh, of warfare. Uh, and it is, yes. uh, I mean, it is non-kinetic warfare and people have yeah. to get, 
have to move beyond the understanding that um, that warfare is simply sort of kinetic force equals mass times acceleration, which is Newton's second law. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you can attack countries, disable countries, take them yes. out of commission using digital means. Um, so, but we were number we were the first to experience this. Um, now people at least believe in it. <laughs> Yeah. Why? Why do you think it took so long for NATO and EU and U.S. to learn from countries who are going through this? Well, they, as I said, I mean, before Estonia 2007, they hadn't employed this. Later on, they continued with all I mean, all over the place. But we were the first ones to get an attack like this. And I should also add that, actually, as I mentioned, the the United States got it. I mean, I was called Mm. almost immediately by Condi Rice and uh, Mm -hmm. the -hmm. next day by President Bush. So the U.S. got it and the U.K. kind of got it. But, uh, for example, Germany just uh, just didn't believe that it was um, really Mm. happening because we're highly we were highly digital. A highly digital country already then, we had been applying uh, or trying to convince NATO to set up a center of excellence for cybersecurity. And mm-hmm. because they had 81 centers of excellence, including such arcane topics as uh, in Kiel, they had a of a, um, a cyber, I mean, rather a center of excellence for operations in in closed and shallow waters. I mean, talk mm-hmm. about specific. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, and they had been putting off this uh, cyber, the idea of a cyber center saying, no, no, it's not really something we need. Mm-hmm. And then after the attack, uh, it changed a lot of minds because they saw how much damage you could do digitally. And so in that sense, I mean, we have the uh, the NATO center uh of excellence for cybersecurity in Tallinn. Uh, and uh, just today, uh, because mm-hmm. it's open to partner countries, mm-hmm. um, and we have partner countries, including uh, Finland, Sweden, and Japan, even, mm-hmm. and Austria, they're sort of neutrals, and Japan. But today, Ukraine handed in its application to join. Ukraine, there is an idea that, you know, bringing Ukraine into the uh, into NATO or into the EU will also help with its own security. Right. As also, uh, let's say, to bolster against Russia. Is this is this something that no is it is? I mean, it's yes, it's it's necessary. Yes. But on the other hand, I mean, Estonia uh, already then was not only the least corrupt country in um, of all former commie countries, but it was also less corrupt than a majority of the of the EU already. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, I mean, it's just like number 17 in the world. Uh, the United States, I think, is number 25. So mm. um, <laughs> but when it comes to uh, Ukraine, I mean, it's done better because it used to be 154. And I think now it's gotten to like in the 130s. Uh, Has ways to go. It, I mean, without getting the corruption cleaned up, especially after the experiences mm. that the EU has had with uh, Bulgaria, Romania and, and now Hungary, Mm-hmm. Uh, you really have to jump a lot of hoops in order to break through the the opposition to it. 
Uh, and let's face it, Ukraine has a lot of work to do. Yeah, and Ukraine is under, I mean, daily assault by Russia on every single, you know, it's like a multifaceted assault. Um, Nicola, um, so we've seen large scale cyber attacks. We've seen the GRU poisoning of Litvinenko and Skripal on foreign soil. We've seen bombings in Czech Republic by Russian intel agents. We've seen assassination and terrorist squads operating across Europe. Why is Europe not acting in the face of all this Russian aggression on their soil, despite it killing their own citizens in some cases? You have, I think, this real problem of understanding of Putin's regime. And there is still also then the idea that we can negotiate with Putin, that we can deal with Putin, that there is some, well, some advantages in keeping, let's say, uh, not that bad relation with Putin, let's say on the fight against terrorism, so police cooperation, and this kind of thing, which is complete, a complete blunder. I mean, is that is madness. Blunder, yeah. I think. And I think and if you have not a common understanding of what the next step of action should be, mm-hmm. then nothing will happen. And then there is uh, also the narrative that you were talking about, about Ukraine, which is, well, we should not provoke Russia. What, 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 what's that stuff? I mean, I think the fact is that, in fact, f- from now since 21 years, Russia is provoking us. That's Everybody. why, as I, as I previously said, that's why you know Russia has won. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and in fact, the idea that uh, if we are going a step further in, let's say, sanctioning, for instance, the oligarchs or the the, the uh, inner circle of uh, of Mr. Putin, etc., uh, it will be provocation. That's something which is completely wrong because, in fact, we never tried. We even never tried. Yeah. There's one us? more element here, and okay. that is. Basically, what happens is that you have anyone who can sell stuff to Russia, uh, and this we're talking about big business, uh, they won't do it. Okay, but the point good. is that we have we have a very strong uh, economic lobbies promoting right. this. And if you actually look at the um, if you look at the basically the the political landscape in Germany, the only party that is seriously challenging this idea that we must actually help Ukraine to stand up for human rights are the Greens. Yeah. Because CDU is very pro-Russia, uh, the first there. We have, you know, you have SPD, the Socialist Party, which is, uh, I mean, has, you know, Gerhard Schröder, I mean, who is hmm. making oh, wow. oodles of money. Yeah, uh, and the liberals mm-hmm. kind of go this way and that. And then you have, of course, the extreme right, which loves Putin and the extreme left, which loves Putin. Yeah. So, in fact, this is a serious domestic policy issue in which there is it's very hard to get leadership. And I'm also I mean, if we're going to I mean, Italy has the same issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean, oh, Berlusconi yeah, in his time, right. I mean, was best buds with. Um, yeah. With Putin, and even after he left office, he flew to Petersburg for Putin's birthday. Mm -hmm. You have, I mean, in France, um, what I'm amazed at is that given the, um, given uh, that the Russians hacked Macron's server uh, in 2017, that that the reaction has been so mild. And of course, they bought the Conservative Party lock, stock and barrel in the UK. They just bought the former prime minister, Fillon. Mm, Fillon. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we have this problem of corruption. And there are too many people making too much money from Russia. Uh, and so this, this means that uh, it's uh, hard to get Europe to move. Uh, in the case of the United States, it's maybe a little more complex, but even there, there are pretty strong economic ties with uh, Deripaska yes. building mm-hmm. an aluminum plant in Kentucky, yeah. the home state yeah. of Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, surprise, basically, surprise. it's mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, the 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 tentacles of kleptocracy reach far and deep into the West, both the United States and Europe. That's right. How I absolutely second that. I absolutely second that. Uh-huh. And I think that's I think one of the main things that we have to do. Uh, that's why I was proposing to my government and to others, and I wrote a piece about that, about the, the links between corruptions and foreign influence. And I find I think that is very important to expose the links between the people and to have a law in the EU countries and the US as well, of course, that uh, makes impossible for a former government official or member of uh, of cabinet let's say prime minister minister uh, MP, intelligence advisor, agencies intelligence mm. uh, people etc to make lobby or consultants for russian people or russian companies or also chinese company as well and uh, and then we have to expose the things we yeah. probably name and shame suspect, them name yes we and suspect shame. also that some yeah, think tanks also, some well, journalists, of very prominent journalists, not only from, I mean, uh, uh, Russian outlets, uh, you know, uh, also from mainstream journals, uh, may have received, let's say, some, let's say, compensations or gifts uh, uh, from those of regimes. Course. And yeah. I think it must be public. It mm-hmm. must be at least public. Uh, and mm-hmm. the problem is, even if we come back to uh, Mr. Fillon's case, that's basically in France or in Germany for Mr. Schroeder or other or in Austria, that's not illegal. Yeah. Not the biggest illegal. takedown so of democracy is being done legally. That's a scary part of it well, because everything they're doing is legal. It's now. worse because there's also a serious attempt to stifle any kind of discussion of this already. I mean, currently yes. we have the case of Catherine Belton and her book, uh, Putin's People, which, which uh, I mean, she's being sued in the UK. Uh, for this book. I know in the case of The Economist, they actually talked about, uh, I mean, they had mentioned uh, a corruption or a bribery on the part of one Russian oligarch who then sued them. Mm-hmm. And The Economist would have gone out of business until they finally found this, I mean, paper evidence uh, that he had been bribing people at which they the suit disappeared. It just went away wow absolutely wow so uh so this is what we're up against uh mm-hmm. and okay. one of the things that we need to do actually is to pass what in the u.s has only been moving in the last two three years with uh scurrilous libel suits mm. is slap laws s-l-a-p-p mm-hmm. which actually defends journalists mm-hmm. against these kinds of uh, attacks. But in the UK, I mean, basically, you uh, I mean, if you talk about these issues, uh, you will face a lawsuit from people with endless amounts of money. Yeah. And if you're a journalist, I mean, the, the problem is because before any operation that, you know, the Kremlin decides to act on, I mean, they flood 
social media. They have hands down won the disinformation war. So they flood social media with the talking points and with several versions. I mean, they throw everything out to see what sticks. So then you do have people who are like, oh, I didn't know Ukraine and, and Russia are two different countries because this is the what they're seeing on Facebook, on Twitter, on, you know, articles by journalists, you know. Yeah. Uh, being pushed. And and that's a big problem because then Russia is, I mean, excellent at pushing disinformation nonstop 24 seven on any topic. And they have like literally a troll army, you know, behind them who can reach billions of people at a given point, you know? Yeah. Olga, you're yeah, yeah, and, and basically, you have exactly the same, uh, the same, I mean, uh, uh, narrative when it comes to Syria, for instance, and Russia. Absolutely. Which is also that those people will be never mature enough mm, to be free. For, yes. Yes, you have this idea. And you had also this kind of idea invading the public spheres uh, when the the, 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 the the Arab Springs occur, when the revolution in uh, in uh, Hong Kong starts with the revolution of the umbrella, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, basically also Hong Kong, the China, there is no difference. Yep. Uh, those people, they are Muslims, they are Arabs. Basically, well, the question of the freedom for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, yeah. you you have these kind of things, and just I think that in in my view, if you ask, I mean, most of the of the senior civil servants on the the government officials, mm-hmm. you know, in, in most of the European country, with the exception, of course, of the Baltic states, Poland, etc., they have these ideas in mind. Yeah. Thomas, speaking of Lithuania, uh, we see um, in recent weeks reports that Lukashenko is. Um, flooding, sending migrants abroad and make, I mean, into Lithuanian, across Lithuanian borders and making money off of it. And I mean, right now we even saw temporarily, supposedly Iraqi Airways was supposed to stop the flights, but now I'm not sure what's happening with that. That's Um, not clear yet, but yeah. But what, um, I mean, so he's trying, we know he's doing this to destabilize Lithuania, but I mean, doesn't this become a bigger issue for Europe? And if so, do you see Europe responding, you know, anytime? Well, there's been some response. I mean, we were a little tougher. We sent 100 kilometers of barbed wire to mm-hmm. help Whoa. them do. But uh, other countries are sell- sending blankets and tents to these people oh my who God. are not refugees. They are arriving no. with lots of cash. First right. of all, they're paying lots of cash yes. to get to Europe. Then they arrive with lots of cash. The latest, you know, I mean, they're they're basically coming in there with the newest iPhone. I mean, I don't even have that iPhone. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, they're 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 wealthy uh, Iraqis by and large, and also some people from Mali. Mm-hmm. But they're wealthy people who are. I mean, Lukashenko is cashing in and causing causing yeah. a problem. Uh, for Lithuania, uh, primarily because Lithuania has been the most vocal about um, mm-hmm. Belarus and the repressions in Belarus, as well as hosting uh, uh, President Sihanovskaya uh, mm-hmm. in Vilnius. And so this is his payback. His payback. Uh, okay. Okay. And you see the Belarusian. Uh, um, well, military or whatever, in any case, military 
um, military vehicles leading and uh, bringing people to the border. So, I mean, it's uh, completely absolutely. complicit. In this. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is an orchestrated thing by Belarus, and they're making money off of this on top of it. And so far, what we've seen at the EU level is the usual deep concern. Well, I'm surprised, actually, Lithuania has not invoked Article 4 of the agreement, uh, mm -hmm. but Article 5, but Article 4 uh, is the uh, of the uh, North Atlantic Treaty, which actually allows um, allies to call for political consultations on something that affects mm -hmm. the independence and sovereignty of the country mm -hmm. and political independence of the country. And I I mean, I, I figure it's just a matter of time, but I but I mean, Brussels, be it NATO or the EU, is kind of asleep at this time. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's exactly the big worry right now in Ukraine, because we can wake up any morning with, you know, Russian tanks further invading Ukraine. And what will happen? I mean, <laughs> like, what will happen? Who will do anything? Well, they did use the uh, the the spring crisis to actually put massive amounts of material all around in the north and then in the in the east and in the, and in Crimea. Uh, and even though they pulled out some of the troops, they oh, left the material there. Yeah, so absolutely. It won't take much. No, absolutely. First of all, there are more troops on Ukraine's border than at any time before, during invasion or after invasion. No, but basically Putin is testing the resolve of the Allies since the beginning. And I think he was absolutely right to do so because there was absolutely no reactions. And I think the real issue is that we, we could not expect right now any reaction. And so probably it will continue and so forth until, uh, until, until what? Yeah, my and question is, where, no where, where is it going to, like, what is going to stop it? The, the, the fight against corruption. The fact that if we yes. attack, I think that's probably just a minimal solution, but uh, still needed. That if we attack, I mean, uh, Russian uh, Putin's inner circles, and just, for instance, the, the list that was released by uh, Vladimir Ashokov, the head of uh, Navalny Anti-Corruption uh, Foundations. Mm -hmm. uh, we sanction those people very gravely. We uh, uh, prevent them uh, to come to, to Europe uh, or to the US or Canada, etc., with their families to send their kids families. to all schools. That's and right. Absolutely. And, and we, we, we seize and froze, uh, freeze their assets. Uh, abroad, I mean, uh, real estate, uh, banking accounts, and this kind of thing. This could have reactions. Mm -hmm. Could have, I think. Not we you need political we, will. You need political we need, will. We need absolutely, absolutely. Where, we need uh, that. I'll give you an example. I mean, when it came to sanctioning Lukashenko for what he's been doing, uh, he most well, a lot of countries had their uh, their objections. So. Where does Luke, I mean, the entire Belarusian economy lists, uh, lives on loans from Raiffeisen Bank, which mm -hmm. is an Austrian bank. And uh, what did the Austrian government do? Say, no, uh, we will not, uh, we will not prevent, I mean, they excluded Raiffeisen Bank from those sanctions. I mean, you can find cases in almost every country where there's one or another says, no, no, uh, you can do whatever you want, but this is our 
economic interests. So you end up with rather weak sanctions. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, if you see the the attack on freedom of speech with Deripaska and Oven in the UK right now, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't see why those people are allowed to come. Um, but you know, the uh, the daughter of um, Peskov, the oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. uh, just was just married in Sardinia. I mean, yes. in Italy, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, so. Well, I'm not uh, surprised. Rented every room. <laughs> I'm not surprised about they, that. They took every hotel, every room. Uh, all of it, because we see all over Europe, the United States, COVID doesn't exist, right? We've got the big lie going on in the United States, <laughs> correct? The GOP is unrecognizable. In the UK, you have a liar that basically, you no, know, is prime minister. They're going to shut me down. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Russia is constantly rewriting the history and everyone right. else's country's exactly. history. Not, Not only just Russia's own. history, but yeah. let's write, rewrite somebody else's okay, history. <laughs> you know, it's sort of there's this warping of our shared truth, or rather, it's it's a complete. Uh, de- um, how co- what would be the the correct word? Um, An attack on truth. I mean, yeah. right now, I mean, something truth. that it's is true. On truth. Is this not the most dangerous thing, let's say, for societies in general, where you don't have one shared truth? Yes, mm-hmm. so that's something that uh, I must say that already exists in, since a long time. But it's true that you have those tendencies uh, within many societies. You have that in the US, you have that in most of the EU countries. Uh, people do not trust anything. They are exactly. fueling the narratives. Uh, it was not created by Russia, but if you see not only their propaganda channels, but also all the sub products if I may say mm-hmm. so, that exists. Yes. YouTube, YouTube channel, right. uh, uh, Instagram, Social media, uh, yeah. Telegram channels, uh, WhatsApp channel, uh, V-Contact yeah. channels, and you, in right. which you have many anti-vax also coming from France, etc. You see how they are inflating this kind of propaganda just to, to, to create and to, 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 to plant the seed of the discord. Yeah, Nicola, I've been, Monique and I have been busy with this podcast, so I normally, you know, follow news, but I haven't been really, really following it. But I still check Russian news every single day, several outlets to see what's happening. I mean, if I just read their news, I would think there's a civil war in France. I mean, that's what they talk about. Civil <laughs> war, it, civil yeah. war. Well, and my is. friend lives in France. I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, nothing. I'm like, oh, OK, okay. <laughs> yeah. you know, just a small that pocket of right. people who, yeah. you know, are pushing this narrative inside of France. If you read Russian media, it, it, uh, France is in the middle of a civil war right now. <laughs> Yeah, 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 which is obviously not true because no, uh, the majority no, of no. people, you know, is supporting, exactly. I mean, the French government when it comes to, I mean, the sanitary measures that basically Of course, good. for I, COVID. Exactly. Absolutely. But if I may just add some points, I think that one of the main things from the EU government is also to speak more, not about that, by meaning the sanitary measures, but to speak more about what Russia or by part also China are doing in I think. Yeah, shining the light on everything and making everything transparent. Yeah, that's true. But I think many governments, I mean, again, I look at the German government, I look at the Austrian Mm -hmm. government, no one's willing to do that. I mean, there that might 
I mean, it's you lose your supporters. You know, you lose your financial backers. Um, yeah, financial. You know, I mean, if you criticize, I mean, uh, VW Volkswagen is like very heavily into uh, into China. Uh, German. Um, Mittelstand or medium-sized enterprises that produce right. all kinds of machinery, everything from oil rigs and oiling oil extraction for Russia to everything else that they send to China. I mean, mm-hmm. they're economically beholden. I mean, it's the export mar- the ex- they're both export large market. export markets. And it's important and it shouldn't be honestly that difficult. Like if if Lukashenko, you know, hijacks a plane out of the sky to arrest a journalist, like, you know, every Western government who, you know, pushes values needs to come out and not only say they're deeply concerned, but show they're deeply concerned by actually instituting some kind of, you know, consequences. And, uh, you know, Russia commits atrocities. They poison Navalny. I mean, on one hand, even going back to Germany, you had, you know, Merkel, who was so you know, vocal on, oh, look what happened to Navalny because he was being treated. They are flown to um, yeah. Germany. And then on the other hand, you know, doing the North Stream. Stream. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, where is Navalny? Do you even remember who he is anymore? Yeah. You know, and that's the message that it sends to Russia. So, OK, you could poison and try to murder your opposition. But as long as we get a pipeline, we're all good. Everyone's fine. Yeah, it's almost like the the they cancel each other out, right? The actions of, let's say, uh, doing all sorts of investigations into Navalny and saving him, so on and so forth, is completely canceled out by uh, going through with Nord Stream. That's that's the impression I'm yeah. getting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so um, to wrap it up, uh, in the next few episodes, we are going to be doing a very, very deep dive into (laughs) the far right um, and the rise of the far right in Europe and United States. Um, And we actually want both of you to comment on this. Orban, I mean, is acting. I personally think he is an authoritarian who is right in the heart of, you know, a democratic Europe. And not only that, he's also continues to serve Putin's interest. Um, how should EU be dealing with him? And also, like recently, we know like Steve Bannon, who was Trump's campaign manager, was is heavily involved in working with far right groups across Europe and in United States and was an advisor to Orban. And um, now we have Tucker Carlson from Fox News, who suddenly made, you know, a surprise appearance with Orban the other, uh, recently. And now is, um, you know, thanks to Orban, uh, we'll be speaking at a far right conference that is backed by him. Um, well, these things are also just to keep in, to keep Russian. The fact is Konstantin right. Malofeyev, mm-hmm. um, who is the billionaire who has, uh, I mean, he's very rich and he's, yeah. I mean, he's paid for mercenaries in Ukraine, but also uh, apparent, I mean, he's, he's also a hardcore sort of Orthodox Christian and is That's funding right. all kinds of religious fundamentalists across Europe yeah. that, generally take a very far right view on gays, uh, mm-hmm. on uh, 
well, the issues like that. So, I mean, it all kind of comes together into this uh, hard right international that, I mean, that it has Putin, it has, uh, you know, Malafeyev, it has uh, Yakunin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the all the, I mean, well, I mean, Marine Le Pen, nine million euros from uh, from uh, from Russia, yeah, right? I well, I mean, you have Salvini in Italy. Yeah. Uh, Monique, Don't we know it? No, yeah, no, well, I know. I, know. So, I mean, these Maloney. people, they are right now, which is probably even worse. Well, I mean, and but then you have these uh, lesser known hard right uh, yeah. parties in virtually every country in Europe today. And uh, they are well funded and they're certainly not getting their funding just domestically since no. uh, they don't have that level of support. No, they don't have they that. Have, exactly. um, but they are getting but they are doing rather well financially. Yeah, no, absolutely. And- I, I agree. I agree absolutely with Thomas on that. And I think that's a sort of concern, um, basically. And because uh, I think all those people are very dangerous, they are fueling also narratives uh, that become uh, not dominant. I mean, in those countries, but still part of the of the of, of the common mindset. Even for Marine Le Pen, even if uh, very fortunately she had very bad results, you know, in the last uh, regional elections in France, uh, still you have. 20% of the mm-hmm. people who are supporting yeah. her. Um, but I think also there is also uh, uh, something that we, we, we have to be, to, to be, to be uh, um, worried of about, uh, which is the fact that uh, many people uh, in the press outside Europe are pointing out the complicity, which is real, between the far right and Mr. Putin. But you have also the complicity between the radical left and Mr. Putin. Yes. You were mentioning to us uh, the yes. Linke, the Linke in Germany. The we have also uh, Les Insoumis mm-hmm. in France, and we have also part, let's say, well, uh, part of the Corbynists, the former Corbynists, uh, you know, in the in the UK, uh, and, and also party. And you have mainstream leaders. You have mainstream leaders, you know, at the CDU, in the Les Républicains in France, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, you know, in some other conservatives party, you know, in, uh, in maybe in Italy, but also, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, in, in Sweden, etc. And you have the socialists. I mean, part of the socialists in France, I must say, like the Greens in Germany, and also the Greens in France, are very deeply against uh, Putin's regime, uh, Xi Jinping's regime, and all the authoritarian or dictatorial states, basically, Mm -hmm. which is good. But you still have a minority, you know, in the Socialist Party uh, who are uh, in favor of, let's say, an appeasement with Putin. And you had the former Socialist MP in France who was visiting Assad with the people of the far right. Mm -hmm. So you think, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, let's not focus only on the far right. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, because uh, they are less less visible, they are less visible, (laughs) but the people of the mainstream party are up to a certain point even more dangerous because people do not pay attention to them. We had, remember Olga, when we spoke with uh, Heather Connolly, all about the political capture, because this is what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Political capture. And Nicola, when um, the ele- when are the elections coming up? Because you're going to be coming back and you're going to be uh, commenting a bit of what is going on there with the elections. And also we have some other questions for you. For what is happening in France, April April 2022. Oh, okay. The presidential election, and then approximately six weeks after, we have the parliamentary election. 
Okay, great. So you're going to be back. Okay. Well, we have well. Putin sham election pleasure, coming yes, up certainly. to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, we're also going to be commenting on that. Uh-huh. Thomas, we're going to be asking you election, to come back because we would like to know a little bit about the future of warfare, which we believe we haven't been able to touch today. I think it's um, yeah, an artificial. We can't do that today, but we would like you to come back when we talk about NATO and when we talk about the future of warfare, AI, and also bio, okay, weapons. So we want to thank you both yes. for coming. What an invigorating no discussion that we've had. So we'd like to thank you both. Yeah, thank okay. you so much both for coming on and. Well, it's been okay. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey everybody, if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please visit our website, kremlinfile.com. This is Season 1, Kremlin Fire, hosted by Olga Lautman and me, Monique Amara. This is a Bunker Crew Media production with executive producers Marley Clements, Jack Bryan, Grant DeSimone, Ben, Brett, and Jordi Micellis of Midas Media with associate producers Ruby Frankel and Sarah Metz. Theme music by Oreste Camarra. Sound editing and mixing by Joy Ellett. Subscribe to Kremlin File wherever you listen to podcasts. It's, it's recording. Oh, it is recording. <laughs> For like five minutes. <laughs> okay, that was really good.